When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Tell It Abs It Is podcast, your home for everything Colorado Avalanche on the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your hosts, Griffin Youngs and Christian Boulay. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Griffin Youngs, joined by Christian Boulay. As always, and we are both very relieved that the Stanley Cup final is not over yet. Florida Panthers win game three and make it a two to one series by the skin of their teeth with an overtime win. Finally, a good entertaining game in this series, setting up a very interesting game four in Florida. But by the time you're hearing this, the game is over. But simply uh, with our schedule right now, it's it's not possible to record an episode after the game and talk about it. So we're just going to have to to make do with what we've got talking about game three and just hope and pray that it really ages well, because we don't have a great track record of that. Well, let's just do like a choose your own adventure. Um, so uh, if you get to this part, uh, the Florida Panthers have won game four and the series is tied 2-2 heading to Vegas. And if Vegas wins, it's 3-1 and Vegas is going to win the cup on uh, Tuesday whenever they play next. So Choose your own adventure when it comes to this. Well, let's have fun. But game three, like you said, was the best game of the series. It was a fantastic game. Uh, the Panthers really tried their best to lose this game. <laughs> it felt like other than other than Sergei Bobrovsky, I felt like the Panthers were trying their best to lose it. But they found a way to win. Matthew Kachuk scores in the final minute to tie the game at two. And then, like, I don't know what it is about Carter Verhage, but I think that dude only scores big goals. That's just all he does. I'm very familiar with Carter Verhage scoring big playoff goals. But, I mean, you've even – if you saw that tweet of the goals he scored in these playoffs, the first one he scored was, like, the goal that put it out of reach in Game 2 against Boston and then the Game 7 winner against Boston in overtime. And in the Leafs series, I think he had the one in Game 1 that was that held up as the, the game winner. And he scored again in that Toronto series. I think he scored in game four. So I guess that one, you know, wasn't huge or whatever. Or And then he scored in the clincher in Toronto, I believe. Scored one of the big goals in game one against Carolina. And then scores one of the biggest goals in Panthers history to get them their first win in the Stanley Cup final. And that's all well and good for Florida. It was great for that to see. I still feel like this game solidified Vegas for me because... Vegas was the better team in this game. It's just the Panthers were able to have enough energy to respond. And Bobrovsky was able to to hold them in it enough. And I think one of the huge things from this game was that Barkov showed up. He wasn't on the score sheet, but defensively against Jack Eichel, he was brilliant in this game. Yeah, I mean, that's what we've been asking Barkov to do. And he finally did it. It's just... It goes back to when we previewed the series. If Bobrovsky plays like he did in game three, I think the Panthers can still win the series. I really do. But 
that's the first of the out of the three games where he's looked good. So in game four, if he plays the way he did play in game three, I, I really do think the Panthers are going to win again. But you just I still agree with you in the fact that Vegas was the better team in game three. It's just that Sergei Bobrovsky was the best player on the ice for the Panthers. Right. He was able to do enough to keep the minute and allow a star like Matthew Kachuk to put himself in the right place. He got a little luck with some posts hit like the one by Ivan Barbashev in the third period, but he also made some huge saves that kept them in that game. And if not for that, we're talking about a sweep probably coming up by the time you're here in this episode. Yeah. He made some huge saves. I think it was, was it Carlson? He robbed at the start of the third period. I believe so. Was it Carlson? That save was awesome. And it, it feels so weird because it feels like Florida's back in the series. But like you said, if Vegas just finds a way to box out Matthew Kachuk in front of the net, it's 3-0. And this is probably a sweep coming into tonight. Like, it's just crazy how hockey can change in one instant. Yeah. And I think this was very much an anomaly game for Vegas. Not that they played poorly, but in the sense that their only goals were on the power play. And their power play has been fantastic in this series. Special teams has been a massive problem for Florida. But at 5-on-5, five five, Vegas has been one of the best teams of the playoffs. I don't think that's going to hold up that way for even in game four, let alone the rest of this series. It's like we've seen in this series and in the playoffs as a whole, when Vegas really turns it on, there's just, there's not a lot to to stop them with. And I don't know still if Florida has the capacity, not only to tie the series at two, even if they can, can they hold off Vegas two more times with two of those games potentially being in Vegas? Yeah, that's the part that scares me. I think if Florida had home ice advantage, I'd feel more confident about it. But since Vegas, like two more games are going to be in Vegas. And just judging off how those first two games went, they do not look good for the Panthers. So I I, I agree with you in the fact that I really do think Vegas is the better team and it's really not even that close. Uh, it's just going to be can Florida hold them off for another game? And I think they do. I, I think they do. I, I think they're going to win game four tonight. Uh, and I think that Vegas is going to win in six. I, I think that's how it's going to go. But I, I do think Florida ties it up tonight. I think for the sake of having both parts of the conversation, since inevitably one of these takes will age poorly, yeah. I'm going to take Vegas to win game four. I wouldn't be surprised if it's like game six against Dallas, where Dallas just survives those two games and then Vegas stops fucking around and then crushes yeah. them into the dirt. I would not be surprised to see Vegas send a statement that like, yeah, you don't have a chance. You survived game three. And again, I think it sounds like I'm dogging on Florida right now and not respecting the fact they won this game. That was a great win for them, but they survived. And I feel like even if Vegas plays the exact same game in game four, I very much like their chances in that game still. I hope Florida ties this series. For the sake of having an interesting Stanley Cup final, I really, it's an odd sense to say, I don't want the Stanley Cup final to be in the building for game five. I want that to be a massive game, and I want Florida to be able to put some fear in Vegas and to swing this series. But I think I even texted you before the third period even started that even if Florida comes back to win this game, I how I feel about this series hasn't really changed. Yeah, my mentality switched a little bit too, just because you watch these games – and Florida's just giving it their best effort. And Vegas looks like they're still like, it's just super easy for them. Like the game's coming so easy to Vegas and they're just clicking on every cylinder that 
even this dream story that is the Florida Panthers, I still feel like Vegas is just the far superior team after watching these three games. Well, and I think it all comes down to depth and comfort. I don't think there is a line that the Golden Knights have that Bruce Cassidy is uncomfortable throwing on the ice in really any matchup. He has no issue throwing out his fourth line against Florida's top line or any line on that team for that matter. While I think Vegas, or I'm sorry, Florida and their fourth line they feel like they can only match that up with Vegas's fourth line, and they can't throw that one out there against the Jack Eichel line. They need Barkov. They Florida just needs to have a lot more things to go their way in order for this to work. And we've seen a lot of playoff series in the past. We saw it ourselves, is that when you don't have the depth to back up strength against a team that has nothing but depth, you're really going to struggle. Yeah, really, really going to struggle. And... The thing that I like, I appreciate about Vegas is, like you said, they have four lines that can just go to town on any team. And it's just, it doesn't kind of feel like the Colorado Avs versus Seattle series where it's like, that's what I was saying. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's the Panthers have like one or two really good lines. The Avs really didn't have one or two really good lines. They just had one. But um, the, the Panthers, I I just everything has to go right for them to win games in the series where Vegas can just win in so many different varieties that I just I hate to say it, but I think Vegas wins in six. I, yep. I, I've changed my my pick from Florida in six to Vegas in six. It I mean, won't count at, in the record this, books. At this point, it's hard not. Yeah. It's hard not to. So we'll have to see what happens with it. But I'm I'm excited for game four. I did want to like did you find it weird that whole thing with Kachuk in game three? He gets rocked by Kolasar, leaves the bench, and then comes back and just no, like nothing happened. Like, did you think it was maybe like, did he go into concussion protocol? Oh, no, or he, did, he did. He did. That was confirmed that he got pulled by concussion. Oh, he did. Spotters. Yeah. That I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure Maurice confirmed as much that he got pulled by spotters. But it's also pretty clear that he fucked up his shoulder on that hit. You could see that even though he scored that massive goal and was a big reason the Panthers were able to come back and win this game, that was not the same Matthew Kachuk, where he's going into the corners a little gingerly, kind of poking at the puck and backing off a little bit. It's not something that's going to stop him, but he got rocked pretty hard. They pulled him for the concussion. Turns out he's fine, but he definitely hurt his shoulder. That sucks. Um it was Colasar that hit him, right? Am I remembering that yes, right? You, you God, I fucking hate that guy. I fucking hate that guy. Those are just two rats going at each other. Um, but I, I found that interesting. It's just we had that experience with the Avs where it was like, oh, the concussion spar pulled him, and then they were cleared to return to the game, and then like a day later they're in concussion protocol. So um, I didn't know if that was concussion protocol or not. So that, that was interesting for sure. Yeah, and you know – it's not massive for Florida, but there are starting to be some injuries. And has Vegas suffered through any injuries at all in these playoffs other than uh, Laurent Bressois? I don't think so. Have, have, I have, cannot remember a Stanley Cup final where both teams are this healthy. And even so, you take Lusterainen out of this series for Florida, you could tell they kind of missed him in this game as well. Because yeah. They can't really afford to be losing any depth, but... Going into this series, it was something I meant to talk about when we were previewing this series. I cannot remember two teams being this healthy going into the final. Remember how fucked up both the Avs and the Lightning were going into that final last year? It was basically just a question of who's going to survive the end of this series. And Vegas has not had like one 
major injury to my knowledge other than losing Laurent Brassois, which in the long term putting Aiden Hill in might have been a direct improvement. I just cannot remember one like well, that. and it that's pretty much how the Stanley Cup playoffs go. It's the team that stays the healthiest sometimes usually wins the cup. And like the Avs, they lost Burakovsky, they lost Kadri, lost Cogliano. I guess Cogliano didn't miss a game. We had our goalie get stabbed in the eye yeah. and was split yeah. in the series with the backup. Yeah. So I mean it I guess, yeah, there was I just don't remember all those ones until I started listing them out. But you're right for for Vegas. I don't think they're missing anyone because they took when Amad did Amadio come out in the Edmonton series for someone else, if I remember right, but he wasn't injured. I think it was just a healthy scratch, and then they scratched I, I, Phil Kessel. That sounds right. Amadio's only played 14 games in these playoffs, so I don't have that off the top of my head. But yeah. that sounds right. Yeah, I think he was. I think they just scratched him, and same with Phil Kessel. Like, did you remember Phil Kessel was even on Vegas? I remembered, but I do not remember him playing in these playoffs, let alone the fact that he's played four games. I could not remember that at all. That's what I'm saying, man. Like, I I do not recall Phil Kessel playing in these playoffs or even being a member of the Vegas Golden Knights, but he could very easily win his, what, third Stanley Cup now? Yep, his third Stanley Cup, even though he's played four games in these playoffs. It all counts. Yeah, it all counts. End of the day. So, yeah, that's going to be interesting. But it, it goes back to that point where it's like the healthier you are, the more likely you are to win the cup. And Vegas, who was snake bitten by injuries last year, must have cut a deal with the devil. And they really have only had to deal with, like you said, the Brassois injury. And they've flourished in that. Yeah, and it's not just injuries. According to Dom LeCision, he tweeted this out, I believe, two days ago before game three. But it's worth noting that like, Vegas, by a significant margin, has one of the highest PDOs we've ever seen since the stat's been recorded at all at 106%. The next closest was the 2011 Bruins at 104. The Avalanche were one of the two Stanley Cup winners that had a PDO below 100, hilariously enough. The other one was the 16 Penguins, I believe, which ironically might be two of the most dominant champs at the same time. The Avs lost four games, by the way, with a negative PDO. So funny. But just going back to Vegas, you might look at that and be like, oh, that's just incredible luck. I Again, I think we had this conversation last time. I think it's how Vegas plays and what they do to goaltenders that really boosts that, that shooting percentage for them. And they've just had Aiden Hill playing out of his mind for the most part that really jacks up that number. Yeah, no, I mean, that's definitely a huge help. But it's, like you said, Vegas just plays such a structured system that it's they're almost simplifying hockey where it was like, just put the puck on net and it'll go in and you just never know. Like, do they ever seem to make the extra, like the one extra pass or the pre-pass or they're just firing on net and it's every coach's dream where it's like, see what these guys do. They get the open shot. They put pucks on net. They battle for rebounds. They fight in the corner. Like that's the way they play. And the PDO I think reflects that. And it is very funny that the Avs had a negative PDO. And they that still is so funny. Out. I don't. I don't have the exact number, but it was. I remember the stat where it's like us and the 2016 Penguins were the only Stanley Cup champions. I think. I think since PDO has started being recorded, to have a PDO under 100. And for those of you who don't know what PDO is, it is basically measuring shooting percentage and save percentage together and putting it on a metric of 100. 100 is the baseline. That is 
average. Anything above 100 is a high PDO. Anything below that is considered a low PDO. So you're, it's basically how people look at luck in the NHL. It's not bulletproof because you also look at PDO. Not a lot of Stanley Cup champions on this list. The top two potentially Vegas at number one could be. Then you have the 2011 Bruins who won the Stanley Cup, but then it's like the 09 Bruins, the 2020 Hurricanes, the 2020 Canucks, the 2012 Coyotes. And I think my favorite one on here is this year's Rangers team. The one that <laughs> lost to the Devils is up there in luck and they still lost. Love that. But I think that's one of those things that you look at like the Cinderella. I'd be interested to know what the Avs 2013 PDO was. For it the, had to be like one of the highest of all for time. For the regular season? Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't have the, I'm, don't know how I could get that super quickly, but I know for certain it was absurdly high and was, I think the like introduction to most people to PDO as a whole as to how a team this good in the regular season could lose in the first round, but because they had insanely high shooting percentages and, and Varlamov was playing out of his brain. Uh, that has to be one of the all time high, like exactly. it, it's crazy. Definitely. But what, what were your thoughts on Aiden Hill in game three? I, I thought he was, Pretty average. Like yeah, he looked I, like a fourth string goalie in this game. I thought he was fine. I, the the Montour shot that that beat him first. I mean, it's not an amazing goal to give up. I thought it was a perfect shot from Brandon Montour. The Kachuk goal just kind of slipped right through him on a nice play. For Hagee shot beats him from distance. But outside of that, I mean, you, you can't pin this loss on, no. on bad goaltending for Vegas, especially for a guy like Aiden Hill. 20 saves on 23 shots. It's a sub 900 save percentage, but it it's hard to be like this kills your confidence in Aiden Hill for the rest of the series. A, a game like that is simply going to happen where you're just average and you don't make that big save when you need it, even though you've made other ones throughout the game. Yeah. See, like if, if there's a little bit of concern for Vegas, it is like is, is Aiden Hill's run starting to work. Like, is he going to go through what Bobrovsky went through in like two straight games where he just really struggled? Like, I think that's the fear you have with, a hot goaltender is when is the when are they going to cool down? So I'm interested to see what happens in Game Four tonight. I, I think Florida's going to win. I think Bobrovsky plays well again, and I think we're going to be tied two two. But then after that, I think Vegas is just going to steamroll them. Yeah, I would certainly like to see Florida tie this series. Also, a weird thing from this game: fifteen penalties handed out in this game, and that trip with eleven seconds left. I was so grateful that florida killed off that penalty and eventually won this game because can you imagine the conversations if vegas wins the game on that power play after that call with that weak trip you can't call that with 11 no. seconds left in a tied final game what are we doing here yeah no you can't do that and i i just love it i know we've talked about it on the show my favorite thing is when they ask former officials if the officials that they're friends with made the right call and they're like no that that was a trip and it's like it wasn't a fucking trip. Like there's so many penalties in an NHL game. And you call that one with 11 seconds left. That was one of the most egregious penalty calls. Like if that was in the regular season. Yeah. Maybe you let that, you call that, but it's two, two in a cup final, man. Like you can't it's, call that shit. And first they called it on the wrong person. They called it on Barkov first. He didn't even touch him. And then the, it, they I forget who took the exact penalty, but his skate just clips the front of Chandler Stevenson's skate and he goes down kind of easily. Again, maybe by textbook definition, 
sure, that's a penalty. By the loosest of definitions, yeah, maybe that's a trip. There is 11 seconds left in this Stanley Cup final game. Are you really comfortable making that call? And potentially, at that point, it would have been 3 nothing, handing out essentially the Stanley Cup. Yeah. I, I don't agree with that call. I know I've been on here on the past as if you see a penalty, call it. In that situation, that is not a strong enough penalty where like if he got his stick under him and tripped him, go nuts, make that call. But right. he tipped him with the back of his skate. And even still, I think you can make the argument that that didn't even trip him. It, 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 was, it was just a bad call. I, I hated it. And... It's just weird because tonight's game, I guarantee you, it'll be like there'll be like two penalties, one on each team after that 15 penalty experience. You know, but the the weird thing is, is like you've set the standard through the first three games that you are calling things. It would almost piss me off more if they just suddenly stop calling things now. They did the same thing last year. Like there's that great there's that great clip of Landy in game five saying like we were just allowed to commit murder in the previous games. And now you're calling everything in this and the ref goes, Oh, we don't know what you're talking about. Like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> they, they, they just have no idea. So it would not surprise me in the least if we go into game four tonight and it's just one penalty on each team and they both come in the first period and then there's no penalties called the rest of the game. Yeah. I mean, and Florida has seemingly adjusted their strategy a bit from Paul Maurice saying like, we're chasing hits and playing too physical and they're getting a bunch of calls. I'd imagine they'd be very frustrated if all of a sudden they just stop calling anything altogether. And through the course of the game, both teams get what two power plays each. I'm sure they'd prefer that with just how not great their special teams have been throughout the season. And then these playoffs, but at this point you've made your bed at, at least lie in it and keep the standard because nothing is more frustrating to me when officials just change the standard. You've said it. Just keep it that way. Okay. Maybe the standard sucks, but that's what it is now. You gotta live with it. Yeah, no, I I I would not be shocked in the least if they set this they, they change the standard because it's it's the NHL officiating we're talking about. So I'm interested to see how this game goes tonight. I'm excited to watch it. Um it's it was cool. The Panthers, we we kind of buried the lead. The Panthers win their first ever Stanley Cup final game. I they were 0 and 6. Yeah. So, so I mean that that's cool. At least they can say they won one. Yeah, they're on the board. They got yeah. their one. Hang a banner. Yeah, it's it's not something to just throw away. Winning right. a game in the Stanley Cup final is, is something that not an insignificant te- amount of teams have never done before. Yeah, I mean, the Leafs haven't won one since what, 1962? 67, yeah. 67, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty fucking cool. Uh, but I, I'm excited. It, it, it feels like for the first time all series that this is actually going to be a series. Yeah. I mean, game, a, a, this series, I think, is just going to hinge on game four altogether. Bold take. Team might go up 3-1 or tie this series. But if Florida, like if they have a dominant performance in game four and they win this game big, that shifts the series in a dramatic way. Now you're going oh, to Vegas and that crowd is nervous now. Yeah, I'm going to come on here and just uh, be like, oh, I can't believe I said Vegas in six. Like, it's Florida in six. But it's eerily similar to last year's where game three, Tampa won. game four is going to be the most important game of the series. And as remember, Nazem Kadri scored that goal to give the abs a three, one lead. But I have a feeling we're going to see something special from Alexander Barkov tonight. And I think Florida's going to tie the series at two. I would hope so. I'm getting vibes of Pittsburgh and Nashville 
from a couple of years ago, back in 2017. The Penguins, I think outside of game one, they had to to get away with it. Game two, I remember them beating them up pretty bad. Game three and four was Nashville. Th- those were all their games, and they almost ran them out of the building. And Pecorino was great at home and not great in Pittsburgh. We'll see if Bobrovsky follows a similar trajectory. But if Florida does win game four, that's going to certainly help my case that this feels very similar to that series with a second wild card going up against one of the top teams in the NHL in the Stanley Cup final. I hope for a different result because, again, I think it would be very cool for Florida to pull off this comeback. I agree. It'd be very cool. Um, speaking of cup finals, like is one of the more forgettable ones in the recent memory uh, Pittsburgh versus San Jose. Like, do you remember anything from that series? I remember the two overtimes, but I also remember hate watching that series because I was jealous. I mean, the game two and three were pretty cool. Other than that, the game one was all right too. First three games of that series were pretty good. And Four, five, and six, like the supposedly the most important ones. I honestly, I don't remember anything. Yeah, I don't remember a lot from that series. Like, it's just, it it, it was one of those ones where I was just like, I was just thinking about after you said Pittsburgh, Nashville, I was like, oh yeah, Pittsburgh played San Jose the year before that. Now I don't remember shit from that one either. Yeah. So I'm hoping that this series of Florida and Vegas doesn't fall into that for the rest of this. Yeah. But. I mean, at very least you have a signature moment for the Panthers in their history with that overtime winner. Even if they lose this series in five, that's probably something we're going to take from this series. And even if Vegas wins in five, as much as we don't like Vegas, seeing a team win at home is cool. Yeah. Like it's, I wouldn't love it because it is Vegas, but even still like that's always a fun. Also, moment. I wouldn't mind if Florida won in six be- or seven because I just vividly remember when the Caps won the cup and seeing them celebrate in Vegas. And just oh. that, remember that, remember that lady who was just flashing her tits the entire at Bur- fucking at, Bur- at Burakovsky, who again, yeah. like, at that point was a child, just pointing them out <laughs> to everyone. Like, Hey, did you guys see that? Like that, that's what we can expect in Vegas. Now Vegas has set their standard with that. So oh, yeah. if it would be very funny to see them lose twice on home ice. If there's ever a city outside of your own you want to win the Stanley Cup in, it's Vegas. Oh, dude, the pictures of the Caps coming, like, partying in Vegas are some of the most legendary pictures you will ever see. No, I don't think any celebration for the Stanley Cup will ever top the Capitals. Like, first of all, the Capitals, a team of known, like, partiers winning in Las Vegas and partying their face and getting drunk out of their minds and then going home to party more. And they're swimming in the fountains and shit, like just drunk out of their skulls. It makes you wonder because there were the vi- so many videos of the Av celebrating. You have obviously Nicholas Obeykubel dropping it on the ice. You have that one of Chris McDermott falling over. Credit to the Caps because there were no videos of them the, doing that, anything that bad. Thing with was the their, that thing was their baby. That was oh. that was before Obi had his first kid. That was his first kid. Was the Stanley <laughs> Cup? Nothing was happening to that thing under his watch. And also, we don't know what happened to that thing behind closed doors. That's true. That's when true. The, it's just the when the camera wasn't screwed. on. Yeah. When the camera wasn't on, that cup has some stories to tell. That's what I'm saying, man. What like, the Capitals did to that thing. Dude, like, the, the guy, the keeper of the cup has to just have some of the most great stories that he will, like, when he retires, he can write a book. And that'll be one of the best sellers of just my stories with the cup. And I will buy that and read it in one day. Can you imagine? I can't can you even imagine. imagine. 
can you imagine he ha- like he retires or whatever and he just like starts a podcast and like once a week he just tells the most absurd story you've ever heard in your life do you think they make him sign like an nda yeah oh i'm okay. I, i'm sure this guy is if he ever uttered a word of any of the things he'd ever seen he would be swimming in lawsuits okay uh, that's what i thought too because the nhl strikes me as that type of place uh, yeah. although technically the cup is owned by the hall of fame which isn't affiliated with the nhl so maybe not yeah i imagine he is very much under like several contracts like the size of him that he cannot utter a word of any of the things he sees Damn. that's like that's like the the book of secrets right there that i i need to i need to read that but it would be funny if Florida won in Vegas and Vegas is on two and they have two teams celebrating on their home ice. Like that would be fucking hilarious. Yeah. But it's uh, not going to happen. Yeah. Let's well, not going to have ourselves. Florida's won one game. I still like Vegas's chances in this. Yeah, me too. It's just, I felt like Florida survived. If anything, it went exactly how I thought it would texting you between periods. Like even if Florida wins, I still like Vegas to, yeah. to win this series. But by the time you're listening to this, that could all have changed. Florida could win big in game four. And then all of a sudden we're going back to Vegas tied and it feels like a completely different series again. So right. unfortunately the part of changing schedules in our lives is I simply don't have the time to wait for this game. And I simply cannot record tomorrow at all. So we're just going to have to live with it, but game three was fun. Hopefully game four is even better. And hopefully this series can get tied going to Vegas. I'm ready to talk about some other stuff. Now we've been talking yeah. about the off season for the last little bit and a guy that we've kind of speculated on with the abs a little bit is Pierre-Luc Dubois of the Winnipeg Jets who currently is an RFA the Jets have a lot of questions surrounding them right now and Pierre-Luc Dubois has requested a trade from the Jets not the first time this has happened and also probably not a huge surprise as well the part that shocked me a little bit is Pierre-Luc Dubois is reportedly wanting around $9 million on his next contract. And all I've got to say is you can certainly ask. I would ask for $9 million if I had the opportunity to. I cannot see a team giving him that. There's no way he's going to get that. I mean, you said before we started recording, he, last year was his career high in points. And he had, what, 63 63 points and it didn't even have a career high in goals. That was the season before at 28. And what did Nazem Kadri have his year with the abs? Remind me how many points he had. Uh, I can very quickly try to, I want to say it was like 95. No, may not have been that much. No, he got, he got hurt towards the end. So it was, it was 87 in 71 games, but if he played all 82, he had a real shot at a hundred. He had a real shot at a hundred and he signed for seven years, 7.5. Just seven times seven, straight up. Seven times seven. And a guy who who had 63 points wants $2 million more than that. Yeah, that's that 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 seems right. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, I mean, where are we coming from here, man? Like, that is absolutely insane money to ask for. I think the only thing Dubois can say is I'm only 24 and Kadri's 32 right now. I'm eight years younger than this guy. But Dubois has never shown cornerstone top line no. center production at any level he's been with two teams granted he's only been around i mean six years at this point he was drafted in 2016 third overall by the blue jackets and then got moved to the jets in the patrick line trade and like i like pierre luke dubois as a player i would not mind the abs having him 
at the price point that he is currently at, which I believe the last contract he signed was $6 million. I believe that's, that's fair. That's a lot more in line with his production. I think a team can live with seven. I think you can live with that. It's not with your first choice, but I think you can survive with Dubois at seven. Cause I also think he's going to get a little better because he's still kind of young, but not, He's never been close to a point per game or even a 30 goal scorer. And you're right. going to ask for Matt Barzell money. Like at least Barzell is the guy in New York. He also has Brock Nelson to help him, but he is like their main skill guy who has at least had some seasons of elite production. I don't know if even the Canadians would pay him $9 million. Because here's the thing. You cannot ask for both. You either get to go to the Canadians or you are going to ask for a lot of money because the Canadians already have Nick Suzuki making under $8 million and just signed Cole Caulfield to under $8 million. You do not get to get traded or signed with the Montreal Canadians and also get your big contract. You got to pick one, dude. You you can't have everything you want. And I, I just, I don't see it, man. Like, I agree. I think he's he's a good player, but... He's asking for money that is just way out of his price range. He, like He's asking for top 10 center in the league money because only, I think, 11 centers in the NHL make above $9 million. It goes from McKinnon at the top to 12.6 to Matt Barzell at 9.15. That's top 10 center in the league money. You better be a point-per-game center at least. And like I, the Matt Barzell comparison, it might be an okay comparison. His rookie season was his best when he was a point per game player. He hasn't been exactly the same since, but he still has at least shown that potential before Dubois has been consistent ish throughout his career, but also hasn't shown that next level growth that I was kind of expecting from him in Winnipeg. Once he did get traded and once he was going to get a full year kind of plateaued into that 60 point moniker, which is fine. Not for nine million bucks. That that's the big thing is, is sixty point players don't get nine million dollars. Only bad teams give out that type of contract to those. I don't, types I don't of think anyone gives out that contract to no. like if he had one season where he got like ninety points or something like that. Okay, that's that's something, but that's never happened before with him, and hasn't really shown a big track record of yeah, this guy. He's got point per game, maybe even a hundred points in him. Never come even close to that. No, never come even close to it. I, I don't know. I I feel like Pierre Luc Dubois will crest will crest a trade like every two years. Like yeah. that doesn't it feel that way. Like it, it it's it not does. the best reputation he's building for himself. Granted, I'm gonna give him a break. He went to Columbus first, which not a lot of people outside of Johnny Goudreau want to go to Columbus. And then he got traded to the coldest place on fucking North America. In Winnipeg. So like I'm, I'm going to give him a little bit of a break there. But at the same time, dude, it's like you can't really build that reputation as the guy who just wants to trade every fucking time. It's not even just that. Like, can you remember a player where it's like pretty public knowledge that they want to go to this team? The only other guy I can think of is Adam Fox. And he was not a player in the league. He was a college player who used his CBA negotiated rights to go to the team he wanted to go to. I can't remember an active player being like, I want to go play, or at least his agent, being like, I want to go play for the Montreal Canadiens. And when my contract is up, I'm going to go do that. 
while he's still an active member of another team and under team control for several more years. And then there's that clip of him in Columbus after he very publicly requested a trade of him just free skating. I don't like that game where he's just out there, just having a good time, just floating around out there. I don't know. Maybe Pierre-Luc Dubois is just kind of a dick. Hey, everybody. Hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. Interrupting to bring you a word from our sponsor at DraftKings Sportsbook. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can make a $5 bet and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. Again, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code THPN. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelpline.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. On behalf of the Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash show notes for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at DraftKingsSportsbook.com slash hockey terms. Now, back to the episode. Yeah, his agent's Pat Brisson, and if I'm correct, isn't that McKinnon's agent? I, that sounds right. I have a hard time remembering agents. Yeah, I think it is. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, he's just kind of a – he seems like a little bit of a prima donna. Yeah, it is the same same, yeah. e, same agent. So, I, I don't know, man. He kind of seems a little bit like a prima donna, in my opinion. Like, it, it's just like – Dude, you're not a top ten center in this league. You're yeah, like you maybe top twenty. You maybe. don't ha- you like you have the rights as an RFA. It's like the one thing you can do as an RFA is like demand a trade. Otherwise, you're under complete team control. You can do it, but you have not proven enough as a player to be like Matthew Kachuk. Trade me. I can't stand it here anymore. But also, only trade me here. And also, I want nine million dollars. Like. You're not that kind of player. No. And if you want to be, you got to show a little more in the seasons and maybe be a little better in situations that aren't 100% perfect for you. Like maybe yeah. maybe you just got to put your head down and work a little bit. Yeah. The more we've talked about it, the more I don't want him to be on the abs. Yeah. Um, because because it, think about what you're going to have to give up for a guy who does not want to play there and is not going to sign long term. Like what we're going to give up a first probably pretty decent prospect as well. Maybe even more than that for one year of this guy, who's probably only going to sign a one-year deal. So he can go play with the Habs and has not had a great track record of not being a dick wherever he is. He, he has proven that he is just a dick. Like I, I, I just, I mean, it's can... funny you say that. Cause I just watched the South park episode where the um, tooth decay steals uh, the princess of Canada and it, it, they go on a adventure and they call this one guy, Scott, he's just a giant dick. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's, it, it's totally, I don't know why my brain just went there, but that, that, that's just when, when you said you're a dick, it's like, you're a giant dick, Scott, <laughs> you've always been a dick. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's been a, I, I, it's been a weird day, but uh, I don't know, man. I really think Pierre-Luc Dubois, like, can we just trade him to Montreal and just get this over with? Like, let's just let's just make everyone happy here. 
give Winnipeg a first and a prospect back for him and call it good. Like, yeah, let's like, just get this over with. Get put Kirby Doc in that deal or whatever. But also, if you're the Habs, how are you going to sit at that negotiating table and be like, yeah, we'll give you $9 million. That's you the get- frustrating part yeah. is they aren't going to do it because they can just get him next year for out and keep everyone in house. Or just be like, oh, so you're going to go play somewhere else then. You, you've said for years you want to play here, but you're also going to demand $9 million from yeah. us. We, do, we don't need you. It'd be nice to have you, but we're not going to give you that. You're going to take this six and a half, seven million dollar contract or get the fuck out of my office. What are you talking about? I don't know. And it's just this whole thing just drives me crazy because I feel like we're in the same circle with him every fucking two years. And I'm just excited for it to be over. And then again, in two years when he's goes to Montreal and he doesn't like it, he'll yeah, it's like, oh, why, are, why aren't we winning yet? Like yeah. you're going to a rebuilding team, dude. They're, they're going to not be great for a while. He's going to demand out of there again. But it's like, what were the teams he wanted to go to? It was like New York, Minnesota, or some of the other teams. I don't remember all of them that got listed, but I don't know. Like, why would you want to deal with this? He's like, oh, I don't like this one minor inconvenience. I'm just going to wait until I can be a hab. It's annoying. Very annoying. It's very basketball of him, like very NBA of him to be doing yeah. this. But- I mean, and, and again, you can demand a trade whenever you want. There's nothing that in the CBA that says you can't do this, but it's not going to stop anyone from thinking that you're kind of an asshole. Yeah. yeah. Like, can, can you imagine being in that Jets room and it's you know that he doesn't want to be on your team and is just waiting is, to be like, Is there a worse locker room for him to be in than that one? I think he fits in perfectly. Huh? <laughs> I, guess, I guess, yeah, in a weird way, he fits in perfectly. But yeah, that has to be just the worst locker room for him. And it's just so bad. But yeah, the Winnipeg Jets this offseason are going to be very, very interesting. I just, I don't know how you, I've talked about this at nauseum on here, I know, but I don't know how you can be Kevin Sheveldayoff and not see the writing on the wall with this team. Like, yeah, you can trade Dubois and maybe get like Kirby Doc back or whatever and like get a little younger. But like, Hellebuck's not going to want to come back. Shifley, even if he does come back, is going to be more expensive. At very least, you got to move these guys, get younger, change out the locker room. Like, for, let, let's start with getting Blake Wheeler out of here. Like, one of the most known assholes in the NHL that nobody likes. Let's start with getting him out of here and getting some of the leadership out and see where that can take you. Because you'd be surprised what happens when people like showing up to work. That's fair. That's a fair point. I, I, I get that, but I don't know. The Jets just this offseason, I, I really think they need to do something to change it. And by us saying that, they will do absolutely nothing and they will run the same team back. Yeah, because that's what Kevin Sheveldayoff does. He he likes his team and he doesn't want to upset people too much. He'd rather just wait it out and lose Blake Wheeler for nothing. They might get nothing for Blake Wheeler in a trade because he still makes $8 million at 36 years old for a guy who was stripped of his captaincy and only had 55 points last year. And Mark Shifley's contract's expiring. Like They've got a bunch of guys already expiring. They have Kyle Connor, which is big for them. They have Morrissey. They have a guy, I'm totally blanking on his name, who was the young kid in here that was good and got hurt perfetti oh perfetti yeah, yeah perfetti they have perfetti like they're not totally screwed for the future but they do need to take a step back here and realize we probably should look at restructuring this team if we really want to have long-term success because 
the way the Jets team is set up, you can't really set yourself up for a long time of mediocrity because you're on a very rickety scale with the NHL with just how this team came back into existence out of Atlanta and how unhappy Gary Bettman was, was with it and how this team doesn't make any money to begin with. It's very much a bleeding cash pretty much every single year. I don't think you can really afford to just sit there with your thumb up your ass and, and do nothing with this team. You cannot afford pissing off your fans. Yeah, that's true. But at the same time, I think Bettman with the coyotes going on right now, he's not going to want to have all these teams relocating. He, oh, I'm he, not, he, I'm not saying the jets are going to yeah. relocate anytime sooner. They're, they're even in danger of doing that. Even if they bought him out for the next 10 years, I'm just saying like you're risking losing a lot of money. If you are pissing off your fan base by just wouldn't it be so fucking funny though if the Coyotes leave and then Winnipeg moves back to Arizona yeah. for a second? Time. I mean, we're talking about Atlanta getting another team, whether by expansion or relocation. So maybe we'll just end up having all the old teams again. That'd be fucking hilarious if that happened. Uh, not for I, I feel bad for the Winnipeg fans because Winnipeg, like, yeah. they sell that building out every night, but it would be very funny if that happened. Yeah. So. Um, speaking of Pierre-Luc Dubois, let, let's talk about his former team. I feel like we've talked about the Columbus Blue Jackets a lot, but that's because they've been the most active so far in this, not even the off season yet. Yeah. The pre off season. And, yeah. The and- pre off season. They, they make the trade for Provorov. They hire Mike Babcock. And then out of the blue on a Friday morning, they trade for Damon Severson and sign him to what was it? Eight years. Eight years, it, 6.25 a year, half hit, and traded a third-round pick in this year's draft for his rights. I guess Columbus thinks they're close or something. And I, and I don't hate Damon Severson. I think he's a good player. I mean, same with Provrov. I don't think they're terrible, but these aren't guys that are moving needles for you. And you look at their defense now. I think it's okay. If everything works out for them and Zach Lorensky comes back healthy from the really bad injury that he had that had him only play 13 games, and David Juracek, who I'm very excited for, can take that step into the NHL level, everything goes great. I think they have a decent defense, passable defense. that can. But they're paying everyone like their top defense. Right. Like they're going to be a top five defense in the league. Like, do you remember that Zach Lorensky is one of the highest paid defensemen in the NHL? Like makes more than Makar, makes more than Adam Fox. Is he third? I can very quickly find that. I think he is. He is. He's the third highest paid defenseman in terms of cap hit in the NHL. And I like Zach Wierenski. I think he's a perfectly fine player. You cannot tell me that man is. Is he top 10 defenseman in the NHL? Maybe right on the fringes of it? He's right on the fringes. I think him not playing last year really hurt it. Because he does have moments where he... he... Like, I think if he plays a healthy season, you can make the case he's top 10. Yeah, I agree with that. I think at his peak, he is a top 10 defenseman. But that's all the thing. You're paying him as the third highest paid defenseman in the NHL. Yeah, that's egregious. You're talking he's maybe top 10, maybe more down there with, like, I don't know. I actually don't have, I don't know why I brought that up. That's I don't have any great comparisons (laughs) for Zach Lorensky. But they're giving Demon Severson, who, again, I like as a player, a lot of money and a lot of term and also gave up an asset 6.25 for eight years is going to run Severson until he is 36. 
And for a guy who throughout his entire career in New Jersey, even when they were bad, middle of the lineup. He, he, he didn't, I think he got scratched a couple games to start the year too. Like he, yeah. he didn't play. He and... played, he played 81 games in the regular season and 12 in the playoffs. So I think he played most games, but he definitely got outshined by a lot of people on that defense. Yeah. Like the Devils obviously had Luke Hughes coming in, so they made it made Severson yeah. expendable. Yeah, he was not coming back. He was an yeah. unrestricted free agent. The fact that they're going to get a third round pick for him is smart business for them, especially yeah. if that's what he wanted. Yeah, like it, it makes complete sense. I just I, for Columbus, like this is just we talk about uh, the GM who I always fuck up his name, Pekalukinen. No, Pekalukinen's the goalie, right? Yeah, that's, that's right. That's the Buffalo goal. That's the Buffalo. Yeah. yeah see, see, I get my Finnish guys all mixed up. Yarmo but their president, Pekka. their president is the guy who ran the Rangers for a little bit. Why am I blanking on his name too? I did this yesterday. Uh, Jeff Gordon. Jeff Gordon. Yeah. He he is rushing this rebuild and it is just not going in well. Like Columbus may be like fighting for what the, the ninth or eighth spot in the East now. Like th- that's what they've done now. Like they're still just going to be the same Columbus they've been for the past 15 years. But like you even look at this defense. I don't hate this defense. It's not terrible. You're going to get better when you add players like Severson and Provorov to your lineup. I don't think that's the problem at all. They're not getting bad players and they're going to get more growth from Juracek. It's just like you said, they're rushing this. And this at best, if everything works out, is okay. It's a decent defense. Does it even compete with other top teams in the East? Not really. No. It's fine. But if they're really serious about making the playoffs, they've got a lot of work to do on offense and even more work in goal. Because Elvis Merzlikens and Daniel Tarasov, I don't I don't care how legendary Mike Babcock is. He can't make his goalie stop pucks. No. It, it's, it's going to be a... Very weird because like they'll be competitive some nights and then I, I really just think they'll be fighting for the eighth or that. Like I still like Buffalo more than them. Yeah, I still like Ottawa more than them. Like these are teams that miss the playoffs, and I, I I think that those two teams alone are better than them. Yeah, I think there are a lot of teams that are even right now ahead of what the Blue Jackets are going to be doing this upcoming season. Like the East is going to be a bunch of axe murderers next year. There might be teams taking step backs. There's going to be a lot of teams probably taking steps forward. Yes. Columbus was probably the most injury riddled team of last season that it started right from the get go. They lost Wierenski and they lost, I believe it was Jake Bean as well, right off the bat. And it never got better. Them and Montreal just were not healthy at all. By that standard alone, Columbus is going to be better. I don't think they're going to be, last like they were they were one point away from being the worst team in the nhl 85 points like like hovering around you're not really out of the playoffs until the last few weeks of the season but you're also not that much of a threat yeah no and you know how we did that preview of like the offseason for the abs i'm like oh columbus should be selling i don't think any of those players that we talked about are not especially not boone jenner yeah, like they are just not available. So I don't know what Columbus is doing. They're going to stick in the mediocrity of maybe making the playoffs and just picking in the 13 to 14 range every year. Yeah, it's 
But even that, like if Merzlikens can't make you saves and if Tarasov is not going to grow into more at the NHL level, then you're kind of fucked anyway, no matter what you do. So until they really go and get themselves a goaltender, then sorry, I don't believe in you. And also Elvis Merzlikens, 5.4 for four more seasons. They're going to have to find something to do about that because that's bad. And he's also 29. For some reason, I thought he was like early 20s. He's 29 already. Yikes. Big time yikes. Not great. So, I mean, I I really agree with what you said when we talked about the Provorov trade. I think there's pressure from ownership that this team needs to start winning. And they're going to sacrifice a lot of the future to go and do that. I don't think they're screwed, screwed until they start trading a lot of these uh, younger guys, which I I don't think they'll do that, but I wouldn't rule it out. But they're also kind of setting themselves up for some problems next year because Texier going to need a new contract, Kent Johnson, Marchenko, Sillinger, Bemstrom, Foodie, and there's a bunch of other prospects that might come up at the NHL level that are sitting in the minors right now that also have one year left. Uh, There's... They're going to need money for those guys next year. And they already have a lot of money tied up in guys. I believe like 44% tied up in Gaudreau, Line, Severson, Wierenski, like almost half of their cap tied up in these guys. It's not a great combination. I don't believe in what the Blue Jackets are building right now. And it's a shame because we were talking about, I talked about them before the draft lottery is if this team gets Connor Bedard, they watch out. They might make the playoffs next year and be a real like Stanley Cup contender for years if they put Bedard on this roster. Yeah. Then they don't get him. They also don't get Fantilli. They're still going to get a great player in the draft, whether that's Leo Carlson or Mitchkov or Smith or anyone like that. But I don't love the direction that they're heading in right now, especially starting to to give up on on draft picks as well and bringing in Mike Babcock. I cannot think of a worse combination for this. Like it. Babcock makes a certain amount of sense for some teams. I think I've talked about it before when we talked about this initially. Like the Rangers, okay, I I can see how that would work. For this younger team and with players like Goudreau and Line, you can't shove the square peg in the round hole. You've got to find a way to make that work. And Mike Babcock just getting a hammer is not going to make these players respond. It might work for a year. They might even make the playoffs or come close. Long term... That's not going to work. Not anymore. No, it's not. So uh, Columbus is going to be an interesting team next year. I I just, I agree with you. Like it's, it's just funny that Columbus is trying to rush a rebuild and probably the most popular franchise in the NHL. Montreal is like, let's be patient. Let's rebuild the right way. And that that's just very funny to me. Yeah. So, and you know what? In Montreal is, it's probably going to work. You look at a lot of problems. Like it's weird that a lot of rich teams don't win right? Like right. Toronto's taken a long time to win. The Rangers have a significant drought. The Habs have a significant drought. I believe a big problem with that is pride and like they really don't want to tear it down and be bad for a couple of years. But who's a team that has done that and is rich in recent memory? The Blackhawks, who won three Stanley Cups after tearing it down, like tearing it down in the early 2000s and getting Kane and Taze. And as horrible as that organization is, they're doing it again. They already got Connor Bedard, so they're already off to a pretty solid start with that. And for the Habs, I believe that's going to work out for them as well, especially if Slepkovsky can turn into something. Yeah, I honestly, like, it's just weird. 
the the, the NHL, like I get there's pressure, but man, it's weird that like one of the richest teams is like, nope, let's be patient with this rebuild. We're not going to rush into it. We're going to accumulate assets. We're going to draft well. And I'm probably one of the bottom third teams. And when it comes to wealth yeah. is like, we need to win now. So it just shows you kind of what money does for patients. I think it's, uh, I think it's an ownership thing. They just get tired of waiting, but that's not how you build a winner. You might make the playoffs. Maybe that's all they care about, but at long term, it's not going to work. But we can tie this back into the abs because we talked about Vlad Gavrikov and how this affects Devontae's and came to the conclusion it's probably not. This affects Devontae's. This is a eight-year expensive contract for a defenseman who is very clearly worse than Devontae's, as most defensemen are. And he's not going to make less than this. So let's throw that notion out that he, Devontae's is only going to make six and a half on an eight-year contract. He's only, really cool if he did that, though. It'd be really sick if he did. It'd be really cool if you want to do that, Devon. But that's not going to happen. So... I think we kind of have a bench line of, well, he's not going to make more than Kale McCarr at $9 million. He's also not going to make less than Demon Severson at six and a half if this eight-year contract is really a thing that we're going to be doing. Yeah, I, it's it's tough, man. I, I It's, it's going to change with every deal. I think you said that in the last episode where it's like every defenseman deal that comes out, we're going to be like, oh, how does this, oh, this is good. This is bad. I th- this one was like, well, fuck that. That just throws out the notion that if Taves takes a hometown discount, we'll be feeling good. Yeah. And also like there was a contract comparison that that cat friendly tweeted out with it that I can stall for and find really quick yet. Yeah, so Hampus Lindholm makes six and a half times eight. Colton Pareko makes six and a half times eight. San Sanheim, 6.25 times eight. Morgan Riley seven and a half times eight Falk six and a half times seven and Noah Hannafin was it Hannafin no it was um why am I blanking on the who Calgary trade for the, Dougie Hamilton no the, Noah Hannafin no the the guy they got from Florida in the Kachuk deal why am I Uyghur. oh Mackenzie Weger yeah, yeah, yeah. got the exact contract that Severson did last offseason and so I think that kind of does set a benchmark so you look at the cap hits for most expensive defensemen in the NHL. Kale McCarr sits at ninth, which is hilarious, at $9 million, and tied with Dougie Hamilton at $9 million. I think it makes sense once you get under $8 million bucks. you look at the Victor Hedmans, Quinn Hughes, Jared Spurgeons, Ekblads, and Rileys. If we're projecting something early, I imagine it's somewhere in that range. For That's what I think, too. Like, all those defensemen you just listed, I'm like, Devon Taves is as good, if not better, than some of those defensemen. Yeah. Like so, Vlad, like Spurgeon, I think is one that does make a bit of sense. Obviously, Spurgeon is a much smaller guy and has been around for longer than Taze, but he got seven point five seven five for seven years back in twenty nineteen, and I think that could be a very comparable contract by the time this gets signed, whether it's by the Abs or by someone else. Quinn Hughes is in that as well. Aaron Ekblad, Morgan Riley. I think like if you're Devontae's, I think maybe your goal is to make around that Morgan Riley-ish deal. Yeah, and I really do think that there he's not going to sign on that July first. Like no. this is going to be like as much as I don't want to say it, I I really think like after more and more of these deals come out, there's more and more likelihood that Devontae's is not going to be a member of the Avs after. Yes, yeah, I I think this is going to be a tough negotiation. And when you look at deals like this where there is so many questions, it's not something that's going to be hammered out 
on July 1st or even this summer, if they have time to do it, they're going to take it. Honestly, I doubt there might not even be a lot of conversations before the end of next season. And they might just hammer this out before free agency next year because they they have a lot of things that they have to figure out this off right. besides going into the weeds with Devon Taze. They're going to talk and they're going to ask and they're going to get a bench line so that when they do get into the weeds on those conversations, they have they know what to expect. But I am not going to get my hopes up that this Taze extension is going to be like we're going to sit here a month from now and Devon Taze, we just don't have to worry about it. We're going to talk about this all season. Yeah. All season, and it'll never end, and we're both going to be so annoyed of it by the end of the year. So we'll see, but it, it, it's it. I think with every one of these defenseman deals that comes out, the likelihood of Devon Taves coming back gets smaller and smaller. Yeah, I mean, it, it might just be a reality of the cap world that you can't have Kale McCarr at $9 million, which is a bargain for him, and also have Devon Taves at seven and a half up. We'll see where that goes. They certainly can do it, but as the salary cap's kind of sitting still right now and allegedly is going to start going up over the next couple of years, we'll see. You just, you, you don't know. You don't know. And we'll just have to, yeah. we'll just have to keep our fingers and toes crossed because I do not want to see Devon Taves in another uniform. I just no, don't. No, not at all. But a contract like we've talked about in the past, that's going to affect Devon Taves and, potentially if the apps can afford to keep him is Bo Byram. And we have a mailbag question this week from Derek Davis asking, does the Cole Caulfield contract force the abs hand with Byram into a long-term deal versus a bridge deal? No, absolutely not. The, uh, you mentioned on the last episode and I, I, the way you put it was, I thought really good in that Montreal is in a completely different situation than call than the abs are. The Avs are in their cup window. The Canadians are trying to build their cup window. Right. And that's two different mentalities you have to have when you're building a team. Right. It There's does. no chance in hell that Byram signs for more than four years. Yeah. I mean, it would be nice if he did. It'd be nice to not have to worry about that second Byram contract. But it's like you just said with the Habs is they're trying to create a Stanley Cup window and the Avs are trying to maximize theirs right now. And to in order to create a Stanley Cup window, you need to have a core. The Canadians are establishing their core. I mean, also, if you switched players, if Caulfield's on the Avs and Byram's on the Canadians, you're probably seeing Byram get that big contract, that big eight-year contract extension. And we're talking about bridging Caulfield right now because that's just the way these teams are set up at the moment. I would love if they can find a way to get Bo Byram locked up long-term, but as I've probably mentioned over and over again on this show, I just don't think it makes sense for both sides to be doing that right now. If Byram has been healthy the whole time and has played in all these games and been fantastic, I probably would be beating on that drum. Like, yeah, I think he got to do this now, but he hasn't been fully healthy for any season, not to any fault of his own. I believe he's going to have a fully healthy season next year. But from his perspective, again, I don't think it makes sense to cash in right now because you haven't shown everything of what you can do yet and just how valuable you are. And for the Avs, you need to see that full season first because if you start handing out that money and these issues still continue, it's a small chance, but you might end up regretting it. I don't think they'll ever regret signing Byram to a long-term deal, but it is something that you have to keep in mind. And the Canadians, they, they don't have to worry about things like that. Even though Caulfield has had injuries, that's a core guy 
and they know he's going to be a core guy and they're not trying to maximize or min max any contracts right now. They're trying to build a team that can win a Stanley cup. Yeah. And that that's, that's how you do it. I mean, I think of the Caulfield, like, do I think Caulfield's going to turn to the player that McKinnon turned into? No, no. but they signed the have signed McKinnon when he, before he even reached the peak of his powers. And we saw how well that contract worked out for him. So that that's the risk you have to take. And it, Byram's not going to sign for more than four years. If he's, it, I, I think honestly, if he signs for four years, that's a win for the avalanche. Yeah. If he signs for anything more than two, that's a huge win. For, honestly, even two, you take that even. Even one, it's, you know what, fine, you deal with it. I don't really think there's any outcome to this that you look at and you go, oh, that kind of sucks. Unless it's like one year, $4 million or something in that range. Because if you get him for one year on like a $3 million or below contract, you're maximizing this window right now. Two years at a little more, still fine. Once you're getting up into the threes and above, I think that's a huge win. And the more you can have Byram for cheaper, the better. Better. You also have to keep in mind is that we're already talking about big cap crunches right now. And Landeskog's money's off the books for this year, but next year it's coming back. And we don't even know what other players they're going to be committing money to in this offseason for multiple years. And Devontae's. Because if you're signing Byram to big money now, it's going to get harder to keep Devontae's on that next contract but also, if you sign Byram short term and give Taze that contract, you're not trading Byram, but you still have three defensemen underneath them that are going to need right. money, and you're going to have less money to give to them. So that affects your depth. So again, right now, I just think it makes sense. Two years, three and a half, in somewhere in that range. You let him have two full seasons to prove himself. You figure out what's going on with Devontae's, if he's staying, if he's going. If Taze goes, and once those two years are up, you give Byram the money and have him and Kale McCarr as your duo for the next 10 years. Yeah, Couldn't agree more, but it's it's the reality of the cap world. That's the reality of it. So it's just two teams in completely different situations with the Canadians and the Avalanche. You know, and also, we just mentioned this, it doesn't make sense for Byram to cash in right now because the cap is staying still. If we're talking two years down the line and the cap's going up $3 million next year and potentially maybe even more than that the year after, there's going to be a lot more money to give him. And we look at the the Gavrikov signing. We might be getting towards the end of this offseason talking about how a lot of players maybe took shorter term deals than we were expecting because they're going to wait for that salary cap to go up. So again, cash in. yeah, it's just another reason as to why I just don't think Byron's going to lock up long-term and it doesn't make a lot of sense for him. No, it doesn't. It doesn't, but we'll have to wait and see. It's going to be fun. It's not fun. Like this is like the boring part of hockey, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens with all of these like front office decisions. Yeah. And then the abs and pretty much every team has a lot of, lot of bending over to do and trying to figure out these situations surrounding them right now. And every day we're getting closer to the abs doing something, something every day, every day we're in June. We've got four more months until hockey's back. Yeah. We have, we're not even at the draft yet. We're not even at free agency yet. And I, I still think before free agency, especially once this final ends and everyone's kind of reopened for business again, you're going to see a couple of moves start oh, yeah. coming pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, we're going to see it. But 
I don't think, is there anything else we need to talk about? No, I don't think so. I mean, I would have loved to talk about game four, but it hasn't happened yet. And did by, you see ESPN fired Chris Chelios? I did see that. Yeah. That was, that was, that was funny. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think what else, like I, anything else hockey. I don't think there was much yeah. else. I mean, ESPN, I mean, there's the, the tweet I had that did, did some numbers for on my account, which is unprecedented, but the basically comparing TNT and ESPN. So I, what happened is I put the Burakovsky overtime winner from game one last year to next to the Verhage winner for the Panthers this year. Just, just listen to them back to back and really listen to the crowd noise, the goal horn, and you can really see how much more of an emphasis TNT puts on letting the crowd tell the story versus how ESPN has their commentators basically drowning out all of the atmosphere which makes a big difference when you're trying to sell a moment. And then watch what I put underneath that with the the Martin St. Louis goal for the Rangers back in 2013, which I think is the greatest example of a goal highlight of all time, the gold standard for everything. But just on that topic of ESPN, I was like, Chelios, I'm fine with seeing go. I think there's a lot of guys that need to go. And I honestly, I think they need to start over from scratch and just get more people in there that I don't want to say care because that that sounds unfair. The commentators and the analysts care. I cannot look you in the eyes and tell you Mark Messier does not care about hockey. I mean the people behind the scenes, the people who run the broadcast, just more attention to detail with ESPN because it's not there. And it's not oh. really, it's not really there with with the NBA. I found either now that I've watched it more. Yeah, no, they don't. Did you see? I saw something too that Ray Ferraro was getting ready to leave ESPN too doesn't surprise me it does yeah. not strike me as an environment where you feel appreciated as a hockey person because yeah. it, it's very much just yes yeah, is one of our properties it's not football or basketball so we don't really care about it all that much yeah i guess he's going to go be the uh canucks play-by-play or uh color commentator hmm, good for him yeah i don't know if that's true that was also just a tiktok i saw but i'm gonna i, go I didn't i haven't seen any of that but i'll take your word for it yeah i'm gonna trust the tiktok guy who had like two hundred thousand followers it's, a, it's uh, a good policy if you see something online you should probably yeah, you, you should trust it you should yeah. trust it but yeah i mean espn is changing a lot i i really am appreciating tnt i, I wish tnt had the cup final every year i, I really do i i really did not think I would miss NBC so much. I was happy when ESPN got the rights in TNT instead yeah. of NBC. Cause I was like, these guys are so bad at growing. Well, you don't miss NBC. You miss doc Emmerich. I miss doc, but again, I miss the production quality. Yeah. It was way better than any sort of local broadcast or even the other national games, the way they ran like their audio. I genuinely loved how they ran national games. Even if the analysts were annoying, they got the crowd noise on lock. I thought their graphics were way better. I thought everything they did really made watching hockey more exciting. Where it's like even in 2019, where it's like the Blues and Bruins wasn't the most exciting final matchup wise, but there was still a sort of aura around it of being the Stanley Cup final that I think NBC does a lot better job at illustrating than ESPN does. TNT is a good successor, but they don't get enough games. I think no. TNT should get way more, but that's not the deal. That's not the deal. ESPN yeah, gets the majority. If if TNT had most of them, like I I love Kenny Albert. Kenny great. Albert is is the best hockey play by play guy now that Doc's gone. I like John Forslund a lot too, but it, it's it's Kenny Albert and Eddie Olchek. While he is annoying, like he's still probably my favorite color guy. Um, 
but yeah, it, it's, I, I wish the cup final was on TNT every year. And that almost just makes more sense for it to be on TNT every year. Cause TNT doesn't get the NBA finals and ESPN gets the NBA finals every year. Right. So Again, it, it just makes it, more sense that way, but that's not the contract. Yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, TNT, they, they got Kenny Albert, Forslund, they got Brendan Burke. Um, what's the King? I forget the Kings guy's name. He called the abs series. I thought he did a great job too. Oh, Alex, Alex Faust. Faust. Alex Faust. Yeah. I thought he did a great job with the abs series as well. And ESPN only has the the one guy. Like I I don't like Bob with shoes and yeah with shoes and I don't like Sean McDonough. I just don't think his voice. He's a football voice. That's yeah. a football voice. Yeah. Like you know what I mean. Like I, when I think of Bob, when I think of Sean McDonough, I just think of college football. Right. Like, that's like, what I his, think of. His demeanor works more for football. It does not work for hockey with the the roller coaster of games and the sudden burst of emotion. He's just not very good at that. With shoes and is top tier. I think he is easily the best ESPN has. I, I'm baffled that they don't use him more. Well, see, I like Steve Levy, but they keep him in the studio a lot. I think he's okay. Again, I just don't think his demeanor works in color commentary. I like him for the roles that ESPN has him in. Just as a pure color commentator, he just doesn't give me the energy. I really, Bouchergras, not even going to get into that. Don't like it. But see, I kind of like Bucci just because he's so bad, he's almost good. Yeah, you know what? I like I agree with that, where it's just like you it's kind of funny sometimes. Mm-hmm. He, like he had an amazing call in the Toronto series where it's like mm-hmm. Mitch Marner scored, and it's like not even three seconds after the puck goes in. He's like, he's been terrible in the playoffs all these years. And you know, he's not a big playoff guy. So for him to get like the goal, they're not even done celebrating it yet. Yeah. And he's talking on it. It's so right. funny. It was one of the most absurd calls I've ever heard. But with Shusen's great, I really hope they use him more. And Emily Kaplan's great on ESPN as well. I think those are really the two mainstays, but there's no life in intermission as much as they're trying to get it with PK Subban. And like TNT's not perfect, but they're way better. Way better. Way better. Like I I actually like will watch the pregame show. Yeah. It's so. like it, they have better analysts than NBC oh, yeah. did. Like I don't have to listen to Mike Milbury anymore, which is a how much does it bother you to listen to Henrik Lundqvist though? I love Henrik Lundqvist. Oh, okay, all right. Lundqvist, I, I have no, him. I have no problems with Henrik Lundqvist. Henrik Lundqvist okay. is a very handsome man that I have no problem seeing on my TV. Fair enough. I, I do think it's funny that Wayne Gretzky's on there, and Wayne Gretzky just could give two fucks <laughs> about so being funny. there. It's, <laughs> I love when they have him do late games, and is, yeah. and he's so clear, like this is way past my bed. Right, I'm like, an old man. This whole year, he didn't even do anything with. Like, I feel like he was never on the TNT, and then it's like, hey, Wayne, it's the playoffs. We we need you to come fulfill this contract. He's like, yeah, yeah, I guess I can. Come yeah, I got it. Like, it's so funny. And, and no one blinks an eye because he's just the greatest of all time. So I mean, it's it's like, Wayne, yeah, it's Wayne Gretzky could go on there and curse like 50 times. And like, what are they going to do? Tell him he can't come back. Yeah. Wayne like, Gretzky. I'll get, I'll make my own network. Yeah. So it's funny, but yeah, I, I think we're, we're good to go on this episode. Um, I don't have anything else. No, I think we're all good for this one. We'll be back talking about game four and five. Potentially the Stanley Cup could be handed out by, or not five. When's five? That's on Tuesday or Wednesday. It's on Wednesday, I think. Yeah. Because now there's two day breaks in between, which is dumb. Or no, it's tonight. So it's on Tuesday. Yeah. So we'll be, we'll be fine. We'll talk about game five. I hate those two day breaks. They Those ruin it for me. But we'll be back and talk about games four and five. If Vegas wins both. They will have won the Stanley Cup, and we'll be talking about a new Stanley Cup champion. But also, 
we could have a new NBA champion in a couple of days, the Denver Nuggets up three to one. And if all works perfectly, the Avalanche will still be the defending champions when the Nuggets win the championship, if they can finish it in five. So hope they can. Yeah. Did so you can. see that stat? I don't know if I, if I sent it to you. The through like 19 games, the Nuggets and the Avalanche in their playoff, like their runs, they're both 15 and four. <laughs> yeah. If the, if the Nuggets finish the series, they'll both finish 16 and four in their playoff runs. That's ridiculous, crazy. man. That's crazy. Ridiculous. So sports are cool and the Nuggets are really fucking good, like really good at basketball. And I, I've had a blast watching them. I just I just get so blown away at how disrespected that team is. As someone who does not follow a lot of basketball. All of the Nuggets game I've watched and all of the conversation I see around them just don't line up whatsoever. But it's almost the best now, like because I don't know if you saw the pregame, like every single analyst for pick ESPN picked the Heat, and it's mm-hmm. like, cool, keep doubting us. Yeah. We'll take this. No, th- th- this time, this time it'll be different. Yeah. You know, Even when the Nuggets had a bad game too, they lost by three. And when they play their best, they... Dude, won. they didn't even play their best last night, and they still I, won by and three. They, yeah, and they still won heavily. It's it's love so it. fun. like I I love sports talk sometimes, especially in the NBA. It's just so clickbait. It's so yes. funny. Yes, anyway. that Denver, this small market team, we're just yeah, a scrappy. This, this small market, top twenty most populated city in the fucking yeah. country. Small, small we're a small market, man. We're I'm a small sorry. market. I, I've I hate that narrative so much. <laughs> like we really need. I I will finish this episode. I promise. But I need to. Get, get on my rant again. Like we need to redefine what a small market team is. If you are calling Denver a small market, people during the conference finals were saying with a straight face that Vegas and Dallas were small market teams. No, they're not. Dallas is the only team in Texas and Vegas is a cash cow for the league. Yeah. You know what? Maybe Carolina and Florida are small market teams. Sure, I'll give you that. You cannot look me in my face and call Denver, Vegas, and Dallas small. You can't. You're stupid. You're you're a flat out moron. It's just it's a non traditional hockey market. So everyone's like ah. Blah, 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 it's, not, blah. it's not in Canada, and it's not on the East Coast or the West Coast. It, yeah. It's in its own time zone. Who gives a shit? Well, going back to the the Nuggets, like this would be the first team to win a championship outside of Florida. Texas and California in the NBA since like 1970 something. Yeah. Cancel the league. It's not fun anymore. Yeah, like, that's why people are like, Oh, this is so bad. But no one, no one lives in Denver. Fuck yeah. you. Like you genuinely have no idea what you're well, saying. I don't know if you saw, this is like compared to the last five finals. This is the second highest rated final. Imagine that. Yeah. People want to watch Nikola Jokic. Yeah. Imagine people outside of the United States exist. Yeah. So cracks me up, but nuggets are going to win a championship on, Monday, I think Monday is when they play. Yeah, yes. Monday, and I'll have another parade to go to. Yes, without me this time, so it won't be as much fun. But <laughs> yeah, that's true. Still, even still, we're gonna wrap this one up now before we inevitably go on another rant again. But thank you also very much for tuning in to another edition of the Teledabs It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Use promo code Teledabs It Is on SeatGeek for twenty dollars off your first order of fifty dollars or more. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow me at G Young's NHL. You can follow Christian at Christian underscore Belay, and you can follow the show at Tell It Abs It Is. Again, the mailbag's available in the description of the episode and on the Tell It Abs It Is Twitter. If you've got any questions you'd like to ask for us to read on the show, send them there and we will read them out for you. But again, thank you so very much for tuning in and we will catch you all 
next time. But until then, let's go Avs and let's go Nuggets.